Welcome to the CP Media Podcast, brought to you by our friends at Team CP, your endurance coaching specialists. I am, of course, the media man with the mo, aka Angus Petrie, and as always, joining me is none other than our very own team captain, one Richard Greer. Good evening, Richard. Yep. How are you getting on, Angus? It is Movember. Have you been growing that this month? What are we at, uh, uh, 11? Well, yes. So this is Movember. This is yep. correct, but it might be uh, 2019 Movember, actually. Okay. <laughs> so, so we were just talking off here, and, uh, you know, we like to not just support these causes for, for one month of the year. Some of us like to get in behind a good cause and, and really throw all at it. Yeah, good on you. Good on you. And I hope you're raising some money, are you? Uh, actually, <laughs> actually, <laughs> yeah, I think there's been go. a few people trying to fund me some money to shave it off. So uh, unfortunately, uh, I've had to say no to the fundraising. Oh, right, because I'm sure if we could put it out there, we'd, yeah, maybe, yeah. Should we should we just change text? Because we could have uh, come up with quite a bit of fundraising. <laughs> there will be no great shave off That's okay. that, this month, uh, Richard. So you're right. Let's move along. Richard, what have we got on this show this week? Uh, this show, we've got Doobie Allen. We're going to have a good chat to him about uh, who he is, where he's come from, what he, le- what he knows, uh, learn some stuff from him. We're going to talk a bit about his coast-to-coast experience last year. And we're also going to talk to Nick, ha- Nick Haley, who's a podiatrist and one of our uh, key members of our, um, our performance network as well uh, as a podiatrist. So, so really looking forward to tonight's show. It should be really, really good. Um, but we also want to just other news on that's mm. happened in the last week or so is that Monotepe, we've finally got the entries open, which is exciting. A really key that's event really of ours that we have a bit to do with. Yeah, and they've been, of course, uh, COVID struck over the time. Yep. Um, they were, were they like the week of they COVID or something like that? They were like right on that cusp? They were, they were. <clears throat> I was actually doing the ultra run last year uh, with Jacob Lamont, one of our coaches. We were just cruising <clears throat> and having a good day out. And uh, basically the kind of COVID thing was happening while you're away. So got in at the end of the day and was like, this, this thing's changed a bit since we left. So uh, they were kind of the last event they just managed to squeak in last yeah. year. But the event's since been sold um, to a, a couple down in Queenstown. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to getting behind that, getting down and supporting those guys. Correct. And uh, as always, Team CP will be riding behind that that event, the MacPac Motor Tapu. Um, and if you're looking for an excuse to get fit or get into it, give 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 CP a call. Uh, plenty of training plans actually designed specifically for Motor Tapu, Richard. Yeah, absolutely, and that's why we're doing the, the ultra is that we're actually doing some filming across the course, what it looks like, how to do it, what about nutrition, what about running in the dark, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, we made the most of it, and I think we got in just before the cutoff. We almost missed it. So, yeah, fantastic event and, and a great way to explore the backcountry um, down of uh, Centro Otago. And actually, I wish I had a bit of footage from the uh, from the finish, actually. I just don't quite have that on hand, but there was a bit of a uh, piggyback race Going was, on there, was, was it? Not? It was actually just quickly. There was a um, uh, Jacob wasn't in a very good shape. He had been a bit crook, so, so we're sort of just uh, chatting about different stuff as we we're walking out and down the valley. And I said, I reckon it goes left the river and the course. And he said, I reckon it goes right. And as we basically put a piggyback across the line on which way the track went. And unfortunately, I lost. And Jacob is about. Oh, he's got 120, 130 kilos in the shade. So um, I didn't put my back out, but but uh, yeah, managed to get across the line as a piggyback. So it was a good way to finish. Yeah, bloody good thing you're a big believer in strength training. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just managed to hold on to it. Speaking Absolutely. of strength training and speaking of, uh, I suppose, uh, or legends really, isn't he? Uh, our first guest for tonight, Richard, is actually a, a, a true legend of our sport, really, and, and a bit of a character on his own. 
Yeah, he's a professional athlete and a coach who just loves racing. Basically, uh, you, you'll find him at the races. He gets out and about. doesn't Doesn't mind putting his um, toe on the start line. He's a bit of a weapon on the bike, isn't he? Um, that's the place where he's really kind of made his name and and got some course records all over the world in terms of his racing, both both on road uh, triathlon, long distance triathlon, and then also multi sport as well. So really keen to discuss Dougal's approach to training and then also racing and and um, and uh, yeah, see if we can learn some stuff. Well, let's see uh, see if we can beam me up, Scotty. Come in, uh, Dougal. Oh, look at that. Fighter pilot Dougal here. How you going, boys? <laughs> I think that was going to be our first question off the list. Can you just can you explain to our viewers, Dougal, what is COD? Call of Duty, for those non-gamers that are listening in. Uh, I don't know anything about it. But the people that sold me these headphones knew a lot about it and quickly found out that I had no idea what COD actually stood for. So I left with these headphones and the new realisation that it stands for Call of Duty. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how quick you are or what you're doing, as long as you're looking good doing it. So clearly you look as if you're knowing what you're doing here, Dougal. Oh, yeah. To any uh, young listeners who want to know what it takes to be a, a coach, make sure you put a fake degree up in the background <laughs> and, um, and and wear an important-looking headpiece. <laughs> nailed it. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. It's your learning already. It's early. Um, Dougal, tell us a bit about background. I was uh, scrolling through your website the other day, and, and uh, hey, those race results go a wee way back, don't they? You've been in this game for a while now. Yeah, yeah, God, it's starting to feel that way. I wear a cap for a reason. I'm, <laughs> I've lost a bit of hair in the last, I think, 15 years that I've been doing multi-sports. So, um, yeah, it's been it's it's been a big ride, and it's certainly uh, gone a lot further and, and had a bigger, I guess, uh, influence on my life than I could ever have imagined when I first came into the sport. How did you get started? What was your, um, I guess, motivation to kind of uh, yeah, go long and do some racing and things like that? Where did you start? How did you start? Yeah, oh, I mean, I was just a typical Kiwi boy, really, playing rugby and basketball and team sports and mm -hmm. didn't know much about multi-sport. I think we had a school triathlon at one stage that I might have dabbled in, but uh, my dad was always a keen runner. And uh, so I sort of had that influence, but it wasn't until I got to university and I was playing rugby at the time and I actually had a few concussions. And uh, so that sort of forced, I guess, um, a new a change in direction. And mm -hmm. at the time I was studying PE, so I, was, I had a real interest in exercise and physical and mental health and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, one thing led to another. I joined the Harriers Club and I bought a mountain bike and um, sort of, yeah, I think I was just, interested in being in the outdoors and at exercising and I think if you combine endurance exercise and the outdoors then there's a pretty good chance you're going to find your way into multi-sport mm -hmm. so multi-sport coast to coast was that the first sort of thing like let's go and see if I can do that yeah, I guess so. I mean, it was running. I was focused on doing a good half marathon in Dunedin, and then it was um, mountain biking gave me the opportunity to do a duathlon. And then it was actually, I bought my first, it was an Andrew Martin Sprinter. I bought it off, um, I don't know if anyone's heard of uh, a woman called Sophie Hart, actually, right, who yes, yes, I bought yes, my first yeah. kayak from. So uh, that was my early claim to fame. And uh and that was 2006, just to give a bit of context. That's when I first okay. bought a kayak mm -hmm. and wobbled my way around in it in the Dunedin Harbour. It's not the sort of place you want to fall in. No, no, um, but good training, isn't it, getting out in the, in the harbour? That's where I started as well, Dunedin, Otago University as well, and getting on the harbour and and uh, splashing around and, and uh, paddling side on to those good waves that 
bucket rocket down the harbour. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, no. So that was me, and and I was. I, I guess I was a typical student. Really, I was living pretty cheaply, but also um, there were a lot of opportunities to get involved in the party scene. I guess you could say. And yeah. I was sort of a bit. I was a bit bored of it. This was in my third year at uni, and it had all become a bit predictable to me that whole kind of drinking culture mm. so in actual fact i would chuck a headlight on on a saturday night rather than sit around and get heckled by the boys for not drinking i'd go and ride my bike up on signal hill with my headlight and i thought that was yeah. it, it just felt really adventurous and different yes, yeah. and gave me a bit of uh, time out i guess so yep. uh that was sort of the early i guess impressions that multi-sport started to have on me yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. That's actually very similar to me as well. I bought a bike down to Dunedin because I just wanted to get out of that North Dunedin space, go and explore around the hills. So, yeah, well, it's yeah. a, it's amazing that there's more to Dunedin than just the the Guardies and the Cook, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly, hundred percent. No, it's a great place to go and uh, explore all all out the back of there. Um, how did you like multi sport triathlon, um, adventure racing? So you've done you you like obviously coast to coast. You've done these last couple of years, but also. Uh, you've you've done super well in a, in a bunch of um, Ironman based events as well. One Challenge Wanaka. Tell us about that that journey through that and and uh, the enjoyment and the focus on on training through there. Yeah, multi sport was definitely my first love, and mm-hmm. we were lucky in Dunedin. We had lots of cool little races that would happen on Sunday mornings for five mm-hmm. bucks type of thing. Yep. And uh, I guess. As I started to do all right in multi-sport, I won the peak to peak in 2007 and then early 2008, I won the two-day coast to coast and then I a month later, I won the gold rush. So suddenly my world was changing. I was actually starting to um, see the sport as a very real uh, semi-professional career option, yeah, I guess. Um, and as part of that, you sort of start having conversations with other good athletes and creating adventure racing teams. And then the world's your oyster, really. I, I went off to China, I think it was in 2009 was my first race in China. Yep. Um, and there's prize money and that sort of thing. So that was my that was my world, I guess, at that time. Um, and the coast to coast naturally became a big focus for me being, yep. you know, multi-sport centric. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just came up short, really, from my point of view. I came second three times, and then mm. in 2013, I came third. And so I just, uh, I didn't want to keep smashing my head against the wall trying to um, unlock the code, I guess. And, and mm. being from Wanaka, I'd taken quite a bit of notice of the Challenge Wanaka event, and I think it just offered me a fresh um, opportunity to do something that was still aligned with my passions, you know, mm-hmm. endurance and racing bikes and running and that sort of thing, yeah. but just gave me a, a whole new world to go and explore. So that's sort of where that shift happened in 2014 into Challenge Wanaka and then eventually from there racing Ironman events all around the world for the next six years. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, and when did you win Challenge Wanaka? What year was that? Well, yeah, and that was the other thing. I only entered it as a as a reason not to do the coast to coast for a year, and uh, I got married. Amy and I got married that summer, so um, it was a it was a pretty social summer, I guess, by my own standards. And then um, came third in my first challenge, Wanaka. So, a bit like winning the two day coast to coast in two thousand and eight, it sort of it changed my my mindset quite quickly so then I went back and got second and then in my third attempt which would have been 2016 I won Mm -hmm. Challenge Wanaka yeah Uh, and that's a full course that was when it was the the long course the Ironman distance race yeah 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 Yeah. so pretty 
pretty cool experience. It was my home event, and I think in that year there was some big international names, I think by mm. memory, uh, Makey uh, Twelzik from Germany, even Matt Russell actually from the US, who's since gone on, I think he was sixth in Kona last year, just behind Braden Curry. Yeah, uh, yeah so that, that was... I guess where I sort of really started to think seriously about maybe going offshore and doing some more of those sort of Ironman events. Yeah, brilliant. And I do remember that year, like uh, your name written on the road out in the back of Twi- uh, out in the back of uh, Hawaii and things like that. That's uh, Dugu Island country, all that sort of stuff. It's fantastic, isn't it, to race on your home turf? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yep. and it, I do miss it, but um, obviously with the changes to the race going to the half distance, mm-hmm. um, I just don't have that sort of speed, I guess. So I, I do try and be involved with the event now because it's given yep. me so much, but uh, the days of racing the full are obviously now over. Mm-hmm. So um, that was probably a factor, I guess, um, segueing back to multi-sport, um, yep. why I kind of found my way back into the coast-to-coast environment last year. Oh. Nice. Uh, what about your swimming, like getting into that triathlon sort of scene? How did that go? Like obviously you had to learn, were you reasonable at swimming off, like for a start or did you have to learn from scratch or how would you go there? Yeah, I was probably a bit hard on myself. I used to just sort of um, trash my own swimming and, and create quite a bit of negativity around my swimming in a sort of a sarcastic way. But then yeah. I realised because my first swim, Challenge Wanaka, I swam a 103, which right. by professional standards is terrible. But yep. I also f- realized I, I owed it to my fellow competitors not to take the piss out of a 103 because there were a lot of people there who I had a lot of respect for who were swimming 110, 120, 130. <laughs> and I thought it's probably not fair of me to sort of take the piss out of a 103 when there's a lot of people that would give their left arm for that sort of a swim time. So, yep. it, yeah, to cut a long story short, I worked bloody hard on my swimming and there were weeks where I'd be swimming 30k 30k a week and and my best swim performance at Ironman Australia was 52 so you know that's an 11 minute improvement in my short career as a swimmer so there was a lot of work involved obviously but um yeah it's something I sort of look back on now quite proudly I guess yeah, 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 100%, 100%. And uh, for you going forward, like what's, like from a swimming perspective, is there, or, or um, is there sort of one or two key sort of things that you focus on from a from a technique perspective, from a sighting perspective to, to get you swimming well and getting you back up to that sort of high-end standard? Yeah, I mean, when I'm doing multi-sport, I'm just all in, so I'm not yeah, swimming yeah. at all at the moment. Yeah. Um, and even this year, I, I entered Ironman New Zealand on a whim. I think it was three yeah, days yeah. before Coast to Coast was the cutoff for a professional license. Oh, yeah. So I threw my name in the hat. Yeah, you got fifth I, in that as well. You had a blind of a day. Yeah, yeah, and I swam 57. So I literally did a two-week swim build and f- swam 57. Yeah. So I was five minutes slower than my me in my best swim shape. So... Mm-hmm rightly or wrongly that probably gave me a bit of a complacent mindset where I thought well if I'm not if I'm not really focusing on Ironman which I'm not then at least I know with a couple of weeks of swimming I can sort of fall back on a sub one hour swim time which at least gives me a chance to be semi-competitive. Yep um you're a very strong cyclist and a lot of your key race wins have been built on the back of your cycling um what's a bike session that you do like a like, I don't know, a, month, a month out from a key race that that you're like yep i'm going well that's a real key sort of thing for you to sort of uh go and test yourself on 
Yeah, I think it's probably a bit more of a feel thing. I, I can generally right. sense when I've got good legs on the bike. Um, yep. I mean, this summer and last summer, Gordon Walker, who coaches me, he's a bit of a, um, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with that man, but he gives you some pretty torturous sessions. And oh, one yep. of the sessions he's given me both summers is a, um, it's sort of a four or five hour ride, but he, throw, he throws in there that you've got to do a 100k segment at about 340 watts average. So that for me, that demands a lot of focus. I need to, the moment I start daydreaming, my power will slip. So I know when I can average 340 for 100K as part of sort of a five-hour ride that I've got all the qualities to perform well on the bike. So taking that session, which is crazy, uh, those numbers are crazy, back to say someone that you're coaching and and, uh, maybe someone that's listening to this, how would you rewrite that session for them? Yeah, so I mean that that number three forty, I guess, comes from roughly what I would want to ride a Ironman at, mm-hmm. and I think Ironman bike fitness is what I strive for when I'm doing the one day coast to coast. So, in a nutshell, it would be exactly that. If I'm coaching someone who knows roughly the sort of power that they want to ride in an Ironman, well, mm-hmm. I want to know um, probably a month beforehand that they could ride 100-ish K at roughly mm-hmm. that sort of power. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that that's probably one way to put it into context for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, as I say, I think it's not, it's not that I'm um, more – well, I, I have experience in the sport, of course, but I think a lot of people that have been in the sport, even for just a couple of years – can probably sense, you know, when their legs are starting to feel good on the bike, when they're comfortable, when they feel like they're in a good position. Those yeah. are probably some of the key markers at the end of the day. Yeah, because about rhythm, isn't it, and feel a lot of it as well. What about the indoor trainer? Uh, it's a relatively recent tool uh, that, that's been used more and more, obviously, with the with the power numbers and the the uh, Zwifts, all those sorts of things, more and more people are using it. Do you use that in your training? How do you use it? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the ERG, and I and yeah. I tend to encourage any of my athletes who are interested in using an ERG to definitely go down that road because mm-hmm. it does give um, us a lot more scope for specificity with training. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I guess um, just to give a really clear example, a session that I will always lean on myself each week and that I'll almost always give my athletes at least once a week regardless of where they are in their season would just be your low cadence kind of strength endurance type work so an example might be one of my go-tos would be um, a session where it includes 10 by one minute at FTP but 50 to 60 cadence right so really with, slow um, work, get, get all those muscles working on the way totally. out yeah yeah Efficiency. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I mean, you're hoping um, this is assuming your your athletes have good knees and things. Obviously, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of stress that goes through the joints. But yeah. what I love about that session is it not only does it develop really good strength, which is the foundation to riding a bike, but the the other thing we overlook, I think, is it develops really good feel, really good mechanics, because you're so much more alert to every part of that pedal stroke. And you've so, got to be, don't you? Otherwise, you just won't get your pedal round for a start. So, yeah, it just creates that technique. Totally. Yeah, good job. That's cool. Um, uh, jumping around a little bit, strength training, like on the back of that strength sort of on the bike, do you do much gym stuff? What do you do? And how do you structure that if you do do it around your season and your racing year? Yeah, I'm personally a big fan of 
gym training and and mm -hmm. i'm probably my athletes are probably split 50 50 some are interested in and do use the gym and the other half yep. probably don't and that's yep. fine um yep. But generally what I what I the way I explain it to people is if you think of the coast to coast or even Ironman, it is a strength endurance activity. Mm -hmm. So yep. why do we kind of lean so far across to endurance and ne neglect strength? So mm -hmm. I do believe in strength training, not just for performance, but for longevity in the sport and, mm -hmm. and health and vitality and those sorts of things. And uh for me personally, my strength looks probably quite boringly simple. It's it's mm -hmm. your squats, your pushes, your pulls. There's a bit of supplementary single leg work, balance, stability, some plyometric sort of hopping, jumping stuff. Yep. Mm -hmm. But in essence, it's um, as I say, it's a very sort of simple looking gym program, really. Mm -hmm. And you like a couple of times a week, or doing it three times a week in winter, or is that how? What do you tend to do there? Yeah, three would be a lot, and it would as you say, come more in the winter off season. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. But at the moment, it's probably two 40-minute sessions a week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, get that quality going and and then you can still do your training well as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, again, because I have history with, with the sport and with gym training, I yep. tend to go reasonably heavy load and, and lower sort of eight, six to eight reps. So yeah probably that might surprise a lot of people but um again that's that's what i believe to be right for people at my stage in their kind of endurance mm -hmm. racing career yeah good stuff a uh, nutrition question how do you do it tell us about a nutrition fail and then sort of what works for you now uh, obviously every race day is different but um but sort of what are some of your go-to's yeah, well, firstly, I mean, I'm super fortunate. Genetically, I just have a really good stomach. And okay. uh, because of that, I, I eat everything, really. I <laughs> eat a, a, a reasonably balanced diet, but I also mm -hmm. eat quite a lot of rubbish as well. Um, yep. At the end of the day, um, as, as we're starting to see with this whole low energy availability movement, um, there's a real risk as an endurance competitor, not just an elite athlete, but any mm -hmm. uh anyone who's training eight, nine, ten hours a week plus holding down a job and a family mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, there's so much energy going out of the system. So mm -hmm. I say I eat rubbish, A, so that people don't um, come under this false illusion that the elite athletes would never touch sugar. Um, mm -hmm. I do eat chocolate and I do eat ice cream and I do drink beer and that sort of thing, all in moderation, of course. Most of what yeah. I eat is vegetables and lean yeah, yeah. meat and stuff. But... Um, as I say, I, I just uh, make sure I'm eating enough, getting that uh, calorie intake mm -hmm. up so that I don't start to run the tank empty. Yeah. Um, as far as a fail goes, I mean, I can think of some fails amongst my teammates. I can definitely think of Braden Curry's failure at Red Bull Defiance where he'd had a pesto pizza the night before, but I won't go there. Um, <laughs> mine would mine would honestly, the only time I can remember um, – food having a negative effect on my racing experience was my first trip to China, foreign food, bib shorts, oh, yeah, yeah, bad yeah. idea, oh, don't wear oh, bib right. shorts in China. <laughs> yeah, okay, there's a good learning, good stuff. Um, talking about uh, multi-sport and, and adventure racing and things like that, we need to have a bit of a, a chat about Coast to Coast, um, that was your key event last summer wasn't it, as, a, as the one let's line up, defending champion, let's go and win this, let's, uh, Sam Clark calling him out, have you got uh, um, – are you up for racing this year? Let's have some good competition. Let's go head-to-head -head and let's see what, what we can do out there. And obviously trained hard across the summer as well. Uh, really gave it everything as your key race to go and, um, to go and do. Um, in terms of that race, 
come up come up second in the end. So did the expectations of yourself and or others sort of positively and neg- negatively affect your performance on race day? They actually, hey, this is what I expect for myself. Like, tell us about a little bit about the mental sort of how you're thinking going into the race on the start line the days before and during the race. Yeah, well, I think as you've alluded to, the the biggest expectation came from myself. I really mm. expected, you know, I'd won the race the year before, but I had still come away going, man, I've really got to improve on this, this, and this. Mm. And when Sam Clark entered, I saw that as my opportunity because I knew that would lift my my game, and I yep. that's what I wanted. Is I wanted an um, incentive to really lift my game in that race, and. Uh, in hindsight, I mean, there's a lot more to this, but in hindsight, I think um, credit to Sam Clark because what I think happened was I took my eye off the ball. I started to really focus on beating one person and not yeah. doing my best job on the day on that course. And I think that's something everyone can relate to. It's mm-hmm. When it comes to the coast to coast, that course demands full respect. And the moment you start thinking about what someone else is doing, um, you know, that, that course will humble you pretty quickly which is effectively what happened um and and having said all of that making it sound like i lost the race that's certainly not the case i I still raced you know sub 11 hours so sam clark was very much the best athlete on the day um but i definitely walked away really disappointed in how i had prepared because i was the fittest i'd ever been i think um but i was probably lacking freshness so i was really fit but i was also potentially a bit tired and again that the, the credit there um, belongs to Sam Clark because he had really motivated me so much that I'd um, gone a bit overboard, I think, in my preparation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, and, and that balance of fitness and freshness is a really tough one coming into that race. And, and I think that's, um, that's the great thing about being a coach that is going and doing some racing and putting your body on the line and testing yourself you you're constantly asking those questions you're constantly on the forefront of of learning aren't you because you're you're always thinking about the same thing yourself and and hey if you put a three-hour run down it's another thing to actually go and do a three-hour run yourself um so 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 learning about that freshness and, and getting that right and wrong is awesome um you i had a good read of your, your event blog um which is awesome and honest the way you've written that and um you talk about your race and how it unfolded and actually come out of your boat on the river. Uh, it was the first time, I think you said, since 2008 um, that you actually fell out of your boat. Was that in the river or out of your boat in, in the river in the race? Yeah, no, that was, uh, I fell out on the second, I think it was the second Rock Garden Rapid. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. And again, it sort of follows that theme uh, of taking my eye off the ball. Mm. At that point, I was catching Bobby Dean and Reese John. And uh, at this particular wave train, one went to the left of the wave, one went to the right. And as I was charging along towards them, I sort of watched one go left, one go right, and sort of decided I'd go straight up the guts, which, uh, yep. as I soon realised, they went left and right for a reason. And, uh, and that's I just got... about respecting, I guess, respecting the river, isn't it, as well? Yep. And, and I'm very honest and open about it because I think it shows that no one's immune to falling yep. out of their boat. Yep. And, and also, falling out of your boat is not actually a big deal. You know, yep. it's only a big deal if you let it become one. So, yeah. Um, did it lose me the race? Absolutely not. I still would have come second had I not fallen out of my boat. Yeah. Uh, but it was probably just nature's way of giving me a little nudge and saying, "You need to focus here," because um, I think you're yeah, not giving us, you know, giving nature the respect it deserved on that day on yeah. that course. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, how does the, the getting second actually as a, a heads up? I got second in the two days uh, as well, there, Dougal. So maybe we're coming back into the. Maybe I'll learn something and have a bit of discussion about this. But coming <laughs> second and uh, going back, and and you put the your name on the start list for next year as well. Um, how does the expectation, the pressure, the mindset go into next year? What are you changing? What are you looking? How are you looking to approach this time around? Yeah, I think um, it's not so much making changes i think it's uh reconnecting to what i know works and Mm -hmm. the big thing for me has always been um being process focused and and thinking about the things i have the control over on the day and so that's really where my mindset's been in training and and i think if i can do that on race day i mean i i put it to good practice in the motu challenge for example early october Mm -hmm. i knew Sam Anson, for example, was going to be a tough man to beat on the day, but I also knew that thinking about that wasn't going to be in any way helpful to me. Mm-hmm. So it was quite satisfying to have a good race at Motu Challenge in October, knowing that um, I had probably rediscovered um, the mental approach that I know works for me really well. Mm-hmm. So that day, hey, you you basically started and then kind of just pulled away throughout the day, just could actually just focus on your own performance, like you mentioned. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I and I there was only one moment of weakness where I was on the river in the paddle when I got a bit sort of restless and asked Dan Jones, who was watching on the side, what my split back was, and he didn't actually know, so it wasn't even worth asking. But as soon as I asked him, I was really disappointed with myself because until that point, I was really just doing my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, looking ahead to coast to coast, um, I know that whatever happens, I'll be most proud if I can. Uh, get it right again mentally and and focus on the right things and execute uh, the sort of performance that I plan and prepare for. So that's that whole thing about like when you're running a half marathon when you first started this whole journey is like I want to look behind to see who's coming behind me but if you're looking behind actually you're not focusing on what you can do and you're and if they are catching you well you can't do anything about it anyway or you should be able to should you because you should be trying your best. So um, come come race day and uh, would you be getting splits from the from others as you're coming down the road at the finish or were you like actually no I don't even need to know that I'm just doing as best as I can right now yeah splits are a funny thing because you just don't know how to take them so yeah I I usually brief my support crew before the race and say listen um it's on them they can decide whether they want to give me splits or not and and I let their judgment sort of rule that but I do also explain that their splits are the only splits I'll be paying any attention to it could be random couldn't they yeah totally Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and you do get lots of splits and you know it was quite funny because uh the the splits I was getting in the coast to coast this year were um, you'd see someone 100 metres downstream and their split was three minutes different to the person you just paddled past. So it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that you wouldn't rely too much on the split. So I think what you said is bang on. If you start thinking about what others are doing, A, you can't control what they're doing anyway, and B, it sort of puts you off your own task at hand. Mm-hmm. And can, just talking about splits, because I guess they're a, a piece of data coming at you but are you a data guy like i know myself i like to have my garmin on the bike and i like to have some certain things on the screen and whatnot but i know a lot of people just don't have one at all or don't do anything are you a data guy that needs to be processing that or yeah yeah and 
maybe um, to my detriment at times. I am a, I'm pretty data-driven, me personally. I coach some people that aren't data-driven at all, so I deliberately make an effort to remove that from conversations and things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do, I mean, I, I like to look at the power that I'm pushing or the pace I'm um, paddling in the boat relative to my cadence you know i'm a bit of a nerd i guess so uh it i think it it motivates and uh drives me forward but as i say at times i remember actually amy after the coast to coast this year gave me a bit of a backhand because um she had noticed that on the video footage after the race every time i was within a camera site i was looking at my watch <laughs> and um she sort of made that point she goes just bloody race just go on feel and and do what you know have you, tried, you, need to have you tried it without it i have actually yeah yeah it does my nothing yeah if my if my garment has a, a glitch or in the middle of a race or something like that it actually frustrates me and drives me up the wall because i don't know sometimes for me being able to just see something on the screen actually helps you process the uh, you know, if it's a if it's a short race, it's not a problem, is it? But if you've got a fair length of something to do, it's quite nice to keep the mind uh, occupied a little yeah. bit in the game. Oh, mate! If it's not on training peaks, did it, it, did it happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bloody good, Dougal, mate! Thank you so much for joining us. That has been actually a, a, a really great uh, little candid chat. There, um, plenty of things have been learned. Plenty of things have been shared. We've got uh, just a quick five other things uh, just to ask you here, just so that we can share with everybody. So if you don't mind, without further ado, I'll I'll fire at you. Hit me. Uh, training morning or evening? Morning. Morning. That's. I think, Rich. I think I'm just going to take that question out. Like, it's yeah. <laughs> everyone's uh, doing morning. You should join us in the morning one day, Angus, on an early morning shift. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Keep inviting you. Have it, this have isn't. It. This isn't questions for Angus. This is questions for Dougal. Okay. Isn't it funny <laughs> though? Isn't it funny that it's almost a badge of honour if you train in the morning? I've never quite got that. It's like, oh yeah, I tr- I train in the morning. What are you yeah. doing training in the evening? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Sleeping in, right? Yeah. yeah. Favorite favorite MTB race? Uh Contact Epic. I knew you were gonna say that, and I was hoping you were gonna say that because you've got some pretty sharp times around that place. You are quite fond of that, aren't you? Yeah, I still owe that record that still exists, by the way, still exists for uh 35-ish. Um to Tim Wilding, if anyone remembers Tim, I think he lived in Wellington at the time, and he just laid it down from the start line. So for the Tim Rushes or the uh, Benno Olivers to break that record, they just basically need to go from the gun, none of this dawdling all the way up that bunch ride, all the way up the tar seal. Yeah, and, and, and well, actually, we're digressing here, but sometimes it is, isn't it? Sometimes it's the most horrible bunch ride you've ever done because you've got big wide bars and you're all trying to bloody – you know, lay down some testosterone things and it's as nerve wracking. And then sometimes it's just like a casual ride to the supermarket. It's totally, it's, it's bizarre. But, ac- but actually, your question, your answer there actually leads a little bit to one of my other questions is wait to cover the attacks or lead from the front. Oh, I'm a, I am a shocker for road racing. I'm actually coming up to do five passes next weekend with Sam Anson and Braden Curry. But yes. I am a shocker. Like, I'm the worst person to do a road race with because. People do things and try things, and then I just steadily ride my way back up to those people that are taking a risk and drag everyone with me because I don't have any sort of explosive power. So don't do never invite me to a road race. <laughs> 
Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, fancy meal out or one of mum's home-cooked meals? Oh, a bit more home-cooked these days. Uh, yeah, I think I came out of university and started to earn some money and thought eating out was the next big thing, but it quickly got pretty boring. Mm, nothing better than mum. Uh, mm. And finally, when training with a mate, are you a sandbagger or do you leave it all on the table every time? Well, because I train with Braden Curry, who's the biggest alpha male you'll ever meet, <laughs> I'm um, I'm just used to riding second wheel, pretty much. So, so he, he's so he's the first, and that's not by choice. No, not really. I mean, I I gave up trying years ago. And now I just sort of settle into my beta male. Is that the thing? What are you? If you're not an alpha. <laughs> you're beaten. You're beaten. Yeah, not beaten. beaten male. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I think maybe you just need to sort of be a bit more like you need to define your own finish line a bit better, Dougal. Like it's not his finish line, it's your finish line. True. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'll tell him you said that. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I think I've done that with him once or twice and claimed it, uh, but only really quickly and then sort of (laughs) carried on in a different direction. Yeah. Good. Perfect. Well, Dougal, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing uh, a little bit of you and a little bit of what you get up to. It's been bloody great. Uh, All the best for five passes. That's going to be a great little hit out there. Um, something a bit Thanks, different man. for you lads to do and I, I guess a bit of pressure on to uh, bring home the silverware there too, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, well, I hope so and um, I've heard good things about it so looking forward to, I mean, the last few months we've been sort of wondering if racing will ever happen again so it's nice to be back out there doing it and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. You'll send that um, Cadbury pinky chocolate in the mail, will you? Yep, yep, it's on its way. Look at that, just... Uh, and a chilli no bin. Plug- it's actually not a sponsor's plug, but uh, Cabri, uh, if you're out there, if you're watching, feel free. Whitakers, <laughs> Whitakers, if you don't like the fact we've got Cabri on the show, Whitakers, again, please feel free to send that into uh, P.O. Box, uh, Team CP, Kerwee. <laughs> Brilliant. There we go. Just like that. Well Thanks, done, Thanks for sharing yes. and uh, catch up soon. See you, guys. See ya. <laughs> well, done, uh, well done working on the sponsors and he was he was saying that he uh um doesn't mind eating eating chocolate and ice cream and bits and pieces maybe we need to work on an ice cream sponsor as well and, and drinking beer you know he's definitely a, 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 if i was going to follow somebody um then uh, and their regime he's he's definitely on my hit list that's for sure but he has given us a whole lot of great information and and uh some great takeaways and things from there um, so what we're going to do is, is tonight's show is actually brought to everybody by Pure Sports Nutrition and Solomon uh, New Zealand, and we've got another prize package to give up, a bit of Solomon gear and some Pure Sports Nutrition. Mm-hmm. So for all you people out there that have just been watching Dougal, what we want to know is what did you take from that? What's the what's the best bit of advice you took from our conversation with Dougal? So post it in the comments, uh, send us a message, however you want to get it to us. Maybe don't use the pigeon, but um, yeah, let us know. Let us know, yep. And uh, hey, we'll let you know who's won that Solomon and Pure prize pack next week. We will. Actually, we've got uh, next week's going to be a bit of a prize giveaway galore. We've got a few prizes that uh, we've got sitting there from our Walker special, some tyres and some giant bikes gear. So next week we're going to have a bit of a, we're going to open the prize cupboard and we're going to have a bit of a giveaway. So make sure you stay tuned for that.
Yep, absolutely. Good stuff. Um, so we've got a uh, second part of the show tonight. We've got Nick Haley. Nick Haley is the principal podiatrist at uh, Feet in Motion, and um, they're based in a number of locations around uh, Canterbury. Um, Nick is a bit of a rugby player as a, at his background, but also has completed a number of marathons. And uh, I actually uh, had the opportunity to coach Nick through to the New York Marathon that he did a couple of years ago, which is pretty awesome. Um, Nick, are you there? Hey, good day. How you doing? Welcome, Nick. Yeah, cheers. How, Thank you very much. Yeah. How's the running going at the moment? Uh, yeah, chugging along. You know, I set myself a little challenge over COVID to try and uh, do everything I tell people not to, and I tried to run every day um, okay. just, to, just to get myself out the door. And then uh, my wife and I, Rachel, are off to do the, um, the Queenstown Half Marathon next weekend. So just to put a yes. few lines in the sand to keep, keep the old uh, running wheels ticking over. Yeah, good. And I think like we talked to Dougal, it's good to be putting yourself out there, isn't it? Obviously, hopefully not making the same mistake again, but also learning and and uh, and, and challenging yourself and, and you're better for your own people because of that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, Dougal said some really good stuff about just, you know, you're only ever challenging against yourself. You're not always competing against the person in front of you. You know, you yeah. have a good day, particularly for me, who's right at the back of the pack. You know, I'm always challenging against myself. I'm never going to be the, the fella out the front. If I can beat my time from last last time, I'm happy. You know, if yeah, yeah, a good stop, Nick. yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, just to just to touch on that New York Marathon, uh, one thing that you talked about with that is that uh, uh, as you're running around the streets and, and things, and you're feeling a bit low, you just drift to the side of the road because it's just so many um, spectators and things for high fives. Well done. You got Nick on your t-shirt, and then when you're getting a bit tired of that and just want some running, I'll go back into the middle of the road. Was it sort of what was yeah, happening for you? Awesome. You know, there's um when we did it, it was forty five thousand people, I think, did the race. Wow. And so you know, out there running with that, and it's like four or five deep the whole way. They said it's like one to two million people on the side of the road. So they're all right. yelling your name. And like at one stage, I got cramp. I'm bending over and doing a bit of a stretch, and there's this guy in my face feeding me the full Rocky Balboa. Come on, man, you got to up. Don't give up. Don't give up. So um, I wasn't going to give up in front of him. So it was awesome. And it was it was crazy because it was when the Don got elected. So the night after we did the marathon, Donald Trump got elected as the president. So it was pretty uh, pretty manic. They're all stomping around the streets protesting against Donald being up there. So right, yeah, full on, full yeah. on. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not you know, as you can see, I'm a front rower, so not really built for the longer distance. So I didn't. Yeah. Didn't do another marathon until last year where we did Auckland, so that was good fun too. Wicked, wicked, wicked. Good stuff. Nice. And and uh, and obviously managing feet and looking after people's feet as a as a job. Um, it's not just about prescribing orthotics, is it? What do you actually do? What's what does your job entail? I guess one of the key things is, is for me, orthotics. You know, we 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 do prescribe them, and that's you know, podiatrists are known for that. But a lot of the time, people wear their orthotics for too long. You know, a lot of the time people will uh, will use an orthotic. You know, I always prescribe it a little bit like an antibiotic. Sometimes it's just for treating a condition or treating an injury. You know, an orthotic is for for de-stressing or deloading a particular part of your body. So, yeah. like if you've got an anatomical feature, like your, your inside of your ankle is a bit sore, we're using an orthotic to deload that for a period of time, and then we'll work on some strengthening to get you stronger. So, as you say, orthotics aren't always the only thing. We're often working on using them as a platform to to take some pain away, and then we'll work on a bit of a strengthening program. You know, flick you off to the shoe stores to ch maybe change your footwear if it's not quite right, or um, you know, even down to the fact of the basics of podiatry, often we're removing ingrown toenails under local anaesthetic and doing little things like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's a, it's it's a great proportion of what we do, but it's not certainly not the only thing. Yeah. 
So yeah, if someone's got some orthotics and they've had them for years and that's all they've kind of done, which is the number of people are out there, that that's just what they have to have, uh, probably mentally yeah. as much as physically. What are some of those strength exercises that you do prescribe? What are Obviously, it's going to be different for every every, every person, but what are a couple of key go-tos? Yeah, I guess there's, there's lots of different things that we'll prescribe. Like the classic for us is the calf raise. You know, it's a it's a really simple exercise that anyone can do. You can use your body weight. If you're getting yep. good like Google, you know, and you really want to do your, your six to eight reps and, you know, you can start chucking a bit of tin on your shoulder or you can even just put yep. a backpack on. You know, it's yeah, a really yeah. basic exercise. And I think that probably the underrated exercise is a bent knee calf raise. You know, your cilia strengthening. I think a lot of us are, are really good at our gastroc strengths at a straight leg calf raise, but... The soleus makes up a big proportion of our loading, in particular like patients with Achilles tendinopathy and things like that. They commonly will do lots of straight leg stuff and we forget about the bend knee ones, you know. So the seated calf raises for you in the gym or, and if yeah. you're doing the kitchen bench, you just bend your knees a little bit more. You'll feel it a bit lower down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes the, the orthotic, you're going back to the orthotics, a lot of the time patients are prescribed orthotics when they start out and they're getting an injury, you know, they've never run before and maybe they're doing their first 5K and they have their orthotics then. And then they move on to doing a marathon or a half marathon. So they're heaps fitter, they're heaps stronger. They don't need anywhere near as much support. So again, they've just naturally got themselves stronger over a period of time. And sometimes at that point, we'll pull the orthotic out or change their shoe prescription or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So, so like shoe wear and tear, is that... Uh, is like, hey, uh, if the the if I'm if I can start to see my sock, is that sort of the time I should be changing my shoes? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. often the, often what happens. Yeah, they see the sock through the top of the front of the shoe on the, on, for because of a design fault. Um, shoe wear is really different. Like I, I've been a podiatrist for twenty two years now, I think it is. And so when I first started as a podiatrist, we used to get the old brick shoe. You know, you remember Dad's yep. running shoe the a really hard, firm shoe, the late, you know, the lasers or the all those sort of things. And they were really, really hard and firm, but they were really durable. They lasted for, you know, if you didn't get a year or maybe two years out of your shoe, you you were you had a bad shoe. It was a fault. Mm-hmm. Now the materials that they make the footwear out of are so much lighter. So you pick up a shoe from 1990 versus a shoe from 2020, it's under half the weight. You know, it's yeah. it's so much lighter, but and it's so much softer because fashion yeah. is dictated that everyone wants a really soft shoe. So they want these big springy things. You know, yeah. we went from being in Vibram Five Fingers where we were supposed to run in no shoes and all around barefoot to now the fashion is we're supposed to have big hokers and everyone wants the big cushioned Nike shoes. So um, the materials are so much softer. They just don't last anywhere near as long. Yeah, right. So I've, I'm forever seeing patients who we end up flicking off to, you know, your front runners, et cetera, to get, get their new shoes because everything's just so so compressed and so broken down, you know, to wear them for too long. You know, for me, I always look at the side of a shoe and the shoes like us, the older they get, the more wrinkles they get. Okay. So when you look at the side of a shoe and you can see all the way through that midsole, lots and lots of wrinkles all the way through the midsole. It's like, oh, maybe my shoe's not bouncing back like it should do. It's yeah. not really, you feel it being quite heavy, it compresses down. Um, you maybe then need to go and see our mates and get some, get some new shoes. And I'm always also a big fan of running more than one pair of shoes because if you're running in a shoe four or five days a week you're not giving that material time to bounce back oh right okay so more than just being specific about off-road or on-road it's actually giving yeah. you a chance to do it to kind of yeah get well, back to you're, you're 120 kilos like me mate it needs a lot of time to bounce back so <laughs> um, you've got to give you've got to be able to alternate those shoes and, and yes you're right the on-road off-road thing is a big thing um, yep. because you need the horses for courses when it comes to grip and you know you've got a difference between someone who's say running uh, on the trails in the hill where they're running like Rapaki track which is a nice mm-hmm. wide trail or they're running single trail or they're rock hopping through the 
um, through the Minga, you know, they're all completely different things and require completely different shoes. Yep. But even if you're just running on road, you still want to be updating those and making sure that everything works well together. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, tell me a bit, bit about shin pain. Is that something that you deal with? Is that part of your sort of, uh, yeah. how far up the body do you go? Maybe that's the first question. Well, I, I, well we treat, I treat patients uncommonly, but sometimes with lower back pain, lot, right. uh, hip, more commonly from the knee down, really. So lots of okay. patients with knee, shin, ankle, Achilles, foot. Mm multiple things in the foot obviously that's that's what we do as a podiatrist um but so, so the old, really, old shin splints like i mean that's a big yeah, thing for people that are it's just an old term that's been used to describe supposedly the splinting of the shin it doesn't really <laughs> exist um okay. shin pain is traditionally caused by training error so okay. more often than not it's that they've decided and on new year's day that they're going to get themselves fit and they go out and they just run every day like i did over yeah. lockdown stupidly yeah. although i tried to modify things um but you go out and run every day and then all of a sudden you start overloading these muscles that aren't used to absorbing shock so the muscles of your shin are muscles that attach into your midfoot and tend to decelerate your foot as you hit the ground yeah. so some of it's due to sometimes to overstriding but a lot of the time it's just due to doing too much too soon and that's commonly probably the most common cause of injury of any injury that you will ever see is that people just do too much too soon they're not adapted to load their body hasn't had the time to work through so you know working through a good structured program you know with guys like yourself where you actually get a, a program and set things to periodize them and build them up and you know give them respite time to be able to recover all of those things makes such a big difference and classically you know your shin pain achilles tendinopathy heel pain um are probably three of the most common issues of overuse because people just do too much too soon um, and sometimes it's poor footwear choices but a lot of the time it's just that overload yeah, yeah. for sure so it's actually it's a, exercises and as a stress on our body give ourselves yeah. some time to recover and then we're going to get Beat better it. but it's going to yeah. just take a bit of time and often we're we, we want to train for this and we're enthusiastic and and hey the more the better that's kind of our yeah. natural sort of thinking isn't it but actually give yourself some time and then you can jump back and be better and half the time we as, as, as you know, coaches and clinicians are just busy working on people's heads to make sure that they understand that rest is actually sometimes okay. I remember you with me in, in New York. It was pretty much just teaching me to go, actually, you need to have a rest day. You know, I was, yeah, yeah. I was chill out. My body can't run for more than three to four days a week. You know, I've got to do some time on a cross trainer and some time on a bike because I'm just too heavy to do that. So actually understanding that you need to change things up and not just pound the pavement all the time. Yep, yeah, no, brilliant. Um, uh, like you talked a little bit about that calf raise and the soleus and things like that. Achilles mm. issues is that is that sort of mainly dealt with there, or is there anything other? Because that's the other thing. Like shin pain is a real issue. What about Achilles? Okay, Achilles pain is is again the heart one of the harder muscles or harder ex injuries to treat. Um, mm. A lot of patients sort of or put you know, clients sort of you need to actually change the forces and change the load. So, you know, the ways we often have to do that is reducing the running volume, particularly um, someone who's maybe doing a lot of hill work, a lot of time up on their forefoot. You sometimes got to change their volumes with the, when they're doing running. And there's been some really good research just come out around the use of heel raises and, okay. and you know, particularly sometimes pitch height um, in the back of the shoe that actually it is really, really beneficial to have a bit of a heel raise in the shoe. And, and sometimes at some points just as beneficial as maybe doing some calf raises as part of a strengthening program and things as well. So sometimes short term using some heel raises or even sometimes short term, you know, coming out of your racing flats and going into something with a bit more bulk in the back um, and changing things. But, you know, your calf raises, as I said, are, are probably the most prominent exercise there in really focusing on getting some strength 
to build the collagen that makes up the tendon rather than working on lots of stretching and things like that you know maybe getting some good range of motion in the calf but certainly working on strengthening that tendon up and you know the frustration with Achilles tendinopathy is it's not something that tends to um, go away overnight. You know, we're commonly loaded for our period of time. You know, we're having to, to treat patients for 10, 12 weeks to get some really good healing. And sometimes it can be six to 12 months before you get that final resolution of pain. Um, it's yeah. not always a, an instantaneous overnight treatment, you know. Sometimes when we're using an orthotic to unload things, that can work really instantaneously, but not often with Achilles tendinopathy. It's still a slow process. Yeah. yeah, nice. And and what about on the bike? Like we talked a lot about running, but cycling is obviously important as well. Uh, what yeah. about like shoes on the bike? What's the yeah? You know, so the, I guess bike shoes really, really commonly we see. You know, Kiwi feet aren't traditionally like those lovely little narrow European feet. We tend to be born with rather wide planks, and um, just genetically how we're made. And we buy all these lovely European shoes. You know, all the bike shoes are made in Europe, and they're all really nice and narrow. So lots of the times I see patients and just teach them, again, simple thing, what I think is simple, but people always have their bike shoes done up really, really tight because, you know, you've been told you want this piston type action, but they do yeah, too tight across that forefoot and it just compresses their toes and they end up getting numb toes or they get burning hot forefoot, you know. And so sometimes for me it's just about teaching people that you don't need to have the front of your shoe done up as tight. Um, but sometimes we'll use it like a little dome in there to separate things out. Um, other times it can be setups and things, but we you know send them to the, the bike fit guys to look at their setup because they're getting a bit of nerve stretch. But a lot of the time it's just actually the fit of the shoe. Yeah, and, yeah. and especially I guess like in the summer, you know, like you can you can uh, you know start in the morning and pull your shoes on on a at seven o'clock in the morning and you do them all up tight. Yeah. But by the time you've been out for two you know a couple of hours or something and that temperature's risen in yeah. the day, which it does quite quickly in the summertime, your foot uh, expands quite quite yeah. a lot doesn't it yeah there's some 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 of the um the ultra runners will say it's a third to half a size when they're running they're mm. doing their ultra races you know uh, over a marathon or distance or more you know and particularly on the bike the same sort of thing you're just getting that expansion because you know the foot's hanging at the end of your leg and it's not the it's hard for the blood to drain away mm. um so you just, it just does take up a lot more and you, you'll get that numbness and tingly type feeling or it starts to burn in your feet and you think you've just you've got the wrong socks on or something but it's normally just because you got them done too tight Mm. Uh, Nick, Nick, if there's one sort of takeaway uh, as a podiatrist talking to the world about uh, for, for, for people that are having issues or, or I guess just a learning, what, what would you say? To the, key, the key learning is, is, is orthotics aren't forever and really do your strengthening so that you don't need them forever. You okay. know, some people need orthotics forever, but a lot of the time we just use it as a treatment modality. So it's about getting strong. You know, if we can get you strong and do the training, you don't need them all the time. Great. So what about, what about like myself who I... Well, two things. One, I have to agree with your little heel raises uh, yeah. in the back. I actually had a few issues just recently and and a little shameless plug for our, our good friend Oscar at the front yeah. runner and I went to see him thinking that uh, this was going to cost me a fortune and a new pair of shoes because that's what a good salesman would do. But uh, he sent me home with a, with a pair of heel raises and my God, have they made an absolute massive yeah. difference. But yeah. in my cycling shoes, actually, I've got uh, some orthotics, but they're, they're actually <clears throat> specialised because uh, they seem to do quite a good brand of them because mm. I have quite a high uh, archway. So really, essentially, all I'm trying to do is fill fill the archway under here so I can actually get some the whole foot mm. putting some power in the mm. shoe. So uh, I guess in that instance, there's not many exercises that'll uh, fill that void. 
No, no, it, it's more 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 for the runner, I guess. You know, with a cycling shoe, it's such a linear motion. You know, you're wanting a static position that your foot actually doesn't move that way or that way. It stays nice and straight up and down. You're not rolling in or out. So, you know, orthotic in there is probably lifelong, but it's but certainly for a for a runner or things, you know, particularly following an injury when you've had an orthotic for the first time and you've never had it in your life. You know, you don't always have to wear it for the rest of your life. It's sometimes yeah, yeah. just part of the, the rehabilitation project, yes. you know, and, and using it to deload some tissue before the, we then strengthen it up to get it stronger. Brilliant. Good stuff, Nick. Cool. Thanks Good. for your time. Thanks for your energy. Thanks for um, right. sharing some some awesome advice. And uh, all the best for Queenstown next weekend. I'll, I'll be sitting near the back of the pack still. As long yeah. as I can I'm allowed beer. I'm allowed chocolate. I'm allowed ice cream because, you know, everyone yeah. does it now. We could. <laughs> But yeah. the thing you've got to remember is that you're in the pack. That's the most yeah, important thing. It's all the Good See stuff. Well done. Enjoy. Well Thanks. Done. Nick. Thanks, Nick. Good job. Well done, Angus. What have you we, learned tonight? We're just full of advice, aren't we? Actually, I'll tell you what I learned tonight, Richard. I'll tell you what I learned. Uh, fake it till you make it, right? And we talk about this often, but we'll go back to what Dougal started with, and he pointed to his fake degree. Well, it's not fake, but he pointed to having a fake degree in the back of your <laughs> office. And, and you can take that multiple ways, but I guess when you think about that, if you're, you know, fake it till you make it, if you're a little bit unsure, but you can be shoulder to shoulder with your competition and you can fake it well enough so that they have no idea that you're out of your depth, uh, then you're actually on a winner for a start because you're already actually playing with them. Absolutely. And and that's that whole stony face or having a smile and saying, well done, you're looking good over there or, or something like that. And then they're like, oh, God, what's going on over there? It's a bit like um, uh, the other week talking Walker 100 and the guys at the front uh, were just having a, ch a chat, weren't they? Uh, having a bit of a joke. <laughs> what's that about? But actually, that's part of the part of the banter, part of the part of the gamesmanship, isn't it, about uh, racing and, and seeing how good you can go. And I'm sure as they were going up the hill, supposedly just chewing the fat, talking that each one of those will have been uh, just listening to see uh, how well the other person was speaking and how many breaths they were taking to get that out and all those things. So they say they were just chatting, but I, I'd be pretty sure there was a bit of analysis going on at the same time there. Oh, there always is, isn't there? And and for me, I think it's that uh, bit that Dougal talked about in terms of uh, the uh, just focus on the course, focus on what you're doing. Don't worry about anyone else. Uh, which is almost opposite what you what, from what you were saying is actually just um, just do what you can do now and focus on the now and uh, and as long as you're doing your best well then the result will be the result down the track uh, but constantly yep. asking yourself that question what's my technique like how am I going and then and then be process driven and then if you're process driven that outcome will will pay for itself and, and, and adding to that is something that you always tell us Richard is is that Tell yourself that you belong here. Tell yourself that you're good enough to be here. And if you continue to tell yourself that I belong here and that I am good enough to be here and I've mm -hmm. done all the training then again, then it'll all just happen. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Give it a crack and, and see what happens. Go and challenge yourself. Walk forward to the challenge. Absolutely. Mm. Good stuff. So don't... don't forget, people out there uh, watching, don't forget to throw us a comment, throw us an email, throw us a however you want to throw up. Uh, what you've learned from tonight. Uh, tell us your best bit from Dougal and what bit of advice was was uh, your take-home that's resonant with you. Yes, Richard, you may. I've got a question. Can we put Nick in there as well? So it's not just Dougal. Nick said some really good stuff as well. Can we can we add him to the picture? I tell you what, it may have even been the piece of advice that I gave, Richard. How's that? Let's, let's <laughs> throw the umbrella over the show and tell us what you took from our show tonight on Wednesday Night Live. 
Uh, Pure Sports Nutrition and Solomon have got stuff they want to give away and we want to give it to you. So how's that? Drop us a line, get in touch, say uh, Wednesday night show with Du and Nick. This is what I took home. Absolutely. Sounds good. Uh, thanks for the energy enthusiasm, Angus, uh, and hopefully you're taking some of the energy enthusiasm to the weekend across to the West Coast, ride the wilderness, getting on your bike and uh, and enjoying the, the awesome scenery that is the West Coast Wilderness Trail. Well, actually, Richard, I've ridden it once uh, last year's race. Uh, it was uh, the coast put on its coast weather, so it rained. Uh, and I don't know that I saw much of the trail either because I think I chewed the stem the whole way from the start to the finish. And 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 to be fair, I intend to do the same thing again this, this right. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, right. Well, good luck One with day that. We'll go back and ride it properly yeah, as a trail. Enjoy it. Have a have a sit down, have a sandwich. No, good luck. Go hard and uh, look forward to seeing some uh, Team CP Media interviews from the finish line when you when you're done. Yep, we're getting pretty good at taking the uh, the Team CP bus on the road and uh, getting around and seeing a few people, and it's great. So, again, if you're watching this and you happen to be going, don't forget to yell out and shout out and say, hey, Mr. Man with the Mo, let's talk, because I'm always <laughs> open for a chat. Good stuff. Well done, Angus. Have a fantastic weekend, and until next week, look forward to catching up then. Yep, don't forget, everybody, same time, uh, 8.30 at the moment, as you'll have found tonight, 8.30 for our summer series. Uh, Wednesday night, as always, though, you can catch us on our CP uh, community page or our main Facebook page or live on YouTube, uh, same bat channel, same bat time. Uh, keep your eye on Insta, keep your eye on our socials. We're out there, we're there for you. Uh, until then, I guess it's good night, Richard. Yeah, well done. Good stuff. Thanks, Angus.